Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review. That would be very appreciated. All right, guys, let's dive in. So the 120 unit portfolio is was basically all all on my own. And so it was like where I really, really got like this aha moment was when I bought my first million dollar property. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I've got a good one for you guys. I'm excited that you're here. Uh, I have some with me, uh, someone with me today who I'm interviewing uh, that does multifamily, and they use the Burr method, which is really, really cool. Really interesting story. A um, little bit tragic in the beginning, losing uh, some parents, and and just that kind of spurring him on, and and uh, realizing that he just wants more uh, from his life financially than what they were able to enjoy while they were alive. And uh, I just really, really had a good time speaking to Matt. He's a super honest, very transparent guy, which is always the best kind of interview. Uh, so uh, a little bit about Matt. His name is Matt Druin. Uh, he's a partner at Oak Grove Development, a real estate investment and development firm with a special focus on value-add commercial and residential properties in Rochester, New York. Over the last 15 years, he has been in real estate management, brokerage, and development. He's grown his portfolio to over 120 units, both residential and commercial. Uh, his company's mission is to develop real estate projects that not only add value to their investors, but also put long-term community interest front and center. Uh, he believes that you can do well and good as a real estate investor, and that ultimately community-centric development boosts long-term profits for investors. So that should give you some sense of the kind of person he is, and those are the kind of folks that I like interviewing the most. So without any further ado, I give you Matt Druin. All right, Matt. Thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Mike. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's dive in because um, you're doing some cool stuff and I, I really enjoy uh, kind of digging in. We, we deep dive on folks that we're going to interview here and uh, I won't lie, I've helped doing that, but I get to look at all that curated content and stuff that I found on my own and, and it just looks like uh, you're doing some interesting things and I love the give back feel that I get from you, the kind of the community and, and helping people in the community vibe. So I can't wait to get into that. Uh, but before we do, let's let's dial it back and talk about why you got involved in real estate. How did you even go down this path? Was there some other, you know, goal that you had in mind and and, and real estate kind of took you out of that or was real estate always it for you? No, it wasn't always it for me. I I had a I got into real estate by accident. Um I went to a four-year liberal arts school and studied business uh, with a concentration in finance. And I had this vision that I was going to be immediately hired by like, you know, uh, Goldman Sachs or Bear Stearns at the time, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> and I was going to be this cigar chomping, like Gordon Gecko type uh, right out of college. Well, um, I graduated in 2006. The economy was okay at that time, but they were not hiring liberal arts students with a general business degree with no experience at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so I got my slice of humble pie, so to speak, when the only job I could find at that point in time was a part-time bank teller. 
um, with uh, with Chase Bank, and uh, it was really embarrassing because uh, this the Chase Bank I had the job at was actually in my my hometown, okay. and so I would be seeing like my high school friends and that sort of thing come in, and like you know I'd be like count you know counting them back money and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, and I was sort of a uh, I didn't I, I had sort of have an inferiority complex uh, in the town I grew up in. My parents were you know blue collar background. Um, we moved out of the city of Rochester. Uh, because they wanted to send my brother and I to a great school. Um, and they scraped together every single penny they could find and bought a house uh, that they could afford in this neighborhood. So um, it was an affluent, uh, predominantly white um, neighborhood. And, you know, I was, you know, always dealing with second, you know, hand-me-downs and stuff from the clearance rack and that sort of thing. And I was going to school with kids that were driving like, you know, nice imported European cars and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, I was definitely that paired with the fact that, you know, money was always a strain on my parents' relationship. It eventually ended up driving them apart. Mm. Um, and so, and that was, you know, and that set in motion, a lot of just childhood trauma associated with just, you know, your parents splitting and then having like, you know, weird step parents and boyfriends and girlfriends and that type of thing and being yeah. a, a child in the mix of this whole thing. Um, and it really hit home to me. It was like when my mother... Uh, my mother passed when I was 20, yeah, like 20 years old. And, um, and I was in college at the time and at the, at the funeral, my dad looked me in the eye and he said, Matt, I really wish I would have worked out things with your mom and me thinking like, I thought things were completely like over, they were separated, they were done. And this was years before. And I, and I found out is that it was, my father was working at Genesee Brewery as a general laborer. My mother was a dialysis nurse, uh, working odd hours. And my dad, to try to get ahead, was you know working real estate at night and on weekends. And my mother wanted him home at those times, uh, and that's kind of like the always became the strain between them. Okay. Um, so I uh, was at the bank for two months. Um, I told my dad I was like I, I'm sick of this. I'd rather you know eat a poop sandwich rather than going to work and that sort of thing. So he offered me the opportunity, Hey, get your real estate license and uh, become a realtor and I'll show you the ropes. And that's kind of how it started. Um, and I only was, you know, bought my first property when my dad basically said, you know, Matt, you got to move out of my house. Um, so, uh, cause it, you know, at that point in time, it wasn't, uh, I'm like on the tail end of the millennial generation. And at that point in time, like living with your parents was like, not, you know, a great, a great look for the parent or the, or the kid. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so he was like, go out, find a multifamily, live in one of the units, rent out the rest of them, uh, live in an area that you want to live. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, what's the most, what's the area I was, you know, brought my fake ID to like when I was a kid. So it was like the areas where there was a bars and the young, you know, the young college graduates, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, so that's where I got access to my first property. It was a four family. And, uh, I used, you know, scraped together 16,000 bucks and, bought this pro uh, bought this property that's where i got my start wow that was solid advice by your dad like that's really good advice <laughs> which my dad <laughs> told me that when i was in my 20s now the, he told he basically got to the point where he was like you got to move out just mm -hmm. for my own sake uh how old were you when you when that happened were you like you weren't like 35 or something no okay. i was i was 22 years old oh okay. so wow okay that's oh i wish my dad would have told me that when i was 22 it's awesome but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And, and, and yeah, you're losing your mom in your early twenties is horrific. That's just, uh, yeah, that's, that's bad. But I mean, solid advice. I mean, you basically house hacked, right? You bought it. Was it a duplex? Is that what you bought? It was a fourplex. Oh, okay. A yeah. fourplex. Great. Great. Yeah. And you lived yeah. in one of the units and rented out the other three? Rent out the other three. And plus like I like painted the attic and I moved up there on there and like basically rented half of my apartment out to a friend of mine. 
So nice. I was actually making like 300 bucks a month and being like, you know, rent free. Right. So that's really like when I got bit by the bug is like when I got paid on the first of the month, like two weeks after I closed mm-hmm. by the tenants. And I was like, it was like $1,800. And I realized like how hard I had to work as a realtor to earn $1,800 in commission, right. you know, right. showing like low priced properties in Rochester. Right. Sure. So, yeah. um, so I was just like, there is this thing like of passive income I started getting uh, exposed to or passive ish income, uh, you know, so cause real estate is not hundred uh, percent hands off. Yeah. Oh, you um, mean all, yeah. But if you look like all the gurus out there say, Oh no, you know, no experience, no money, no time, <laughs> no problem. You could be a millionaire. It's like so ridiculous. Right. Um, Oh yeah. So, <clears throat> all right. So that was your first deal. It was a, it was a four plus. Do you still own that property by the way? Oh yeah. Yeah. Still own it. Okay. It's, it's easy for me to buy property. It's hard for me to sell property. So <laughs> no, that's cool. I like asking that question because I, I think it's interesting the amount of people who go on to have really great success in real estate and still own the first property that they you know bought as a rental or whatever. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's really cool. So you did that first one. What was next for you? You got bit by the bug, and I've been bitten by that bug. So I know what that's like. Where you're like, oh my gosh, like your head spinning. You have all these ideas, and you're super excited, and you just you're going to explode. What did you do next? What was the next move in your career? The second idea was actually my dad's idea too. Um, and it was a four family. It was down the street from the one that I bought that was like the worst house on the street. So, and he's like, son, I know how these things go. They're going to sell that property someday. So, um, so every time I got together with him for like beers and pizza and that sort of thing, he's like, Hey, did you check out that property on the street? Did you get in touch with the seller? Like blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, to make the old man shut up, I, f- I found I was like, I gotta, I gotta buy this thing. So, um, so that's what I did. And I uh, found the seller. It was an, actually an estate attorney. And, um, so then I, uh, contacted the estate attorney. She got me through the house and I was able to, um, go through it, run some numbers. Like I put together some sort of rough conservative budgets, that sort of thing. And I was like, all right, well, I need to buy this thing for $80,000 in order to make the numbers work. So I made him an offer for $80,000 cash. And uh, they accepted it, and then I was like, "Oh crap! I have no, I do not have eighty thousand dollars in cash." Oh, that's so, awesome. Um, so yeah, so then I got uh, exposed to a uh, a private money lender, uh, which was actually owned a mortgage company we referred a lot of business to as as realtors, and he lent the uh, the acquisition plus the rehab. Nice. It was like seven percent seven percent interest, which was great at the time. Wow! And also, it was uh, it was interest deferred. So I only had to pay him the interest back in payments once I refinanced the property. Right, so right. My, my first house was a house hack. Second house was a burr. Wow. Um, so, uh, and for, you know, uh, you know, buy, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, um, is the, uh, is the strategy. So, um, that's when I got, I was got tuned into like, all right, I can buy real estate and not have any money of my own. So, um, that's kind of set, set in the motion. I got bit by the second bug. Right. So, um, and that's <laughs> yeah, kind of how you, you can there. see unlimited scale when you don't have to come up with the money on your own. If, if the <laughs> money can be provided, like what are the barriers at that point? They're really just how hard you want to work and, and you know, whatever your ambition. But, um, mm-hmm. so your dad sounds like a rock star. He gave you the second piece of advice. Like I'm going to need to get his number next and give that guy a call and see what he's up to. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's really, that's so cool. So you got two now under your belt. You're a young guy. What's next? What, what happened after that? So I decided I was like, all right, I have to get, you know, I have to grow much, much bigger and get, you know, hundred, 200, unit type of deals and that sort of thing. So, um, 
And what really drove that was the, you know, the childhood trauma around the lack of money, the divorce, my mother passing, and then my uh, my dad passed away suddenly oh, from a heart well, attack. I apologize. Then I can't call him. That's uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Terrible. You can you can uh, pray you can pray to him. So. Right. I'll pray. To <laughs> so, Mister Mike he answers, and I can get him on the show. Believe me, that will blow up, and I'll really appreciate it. No, sorry uh, about yeah, that. he would um, he would have loved that. So um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's really what, uh, uh, and that was like sort of like. I really, really have to fast track this thing. So I started working for um, larger scale management and development companies to get experience managing oh, nice. larger, stu- larger stuff. Um, and my one mistake was that I thought that I needed to have that experience in order to have the credibility in order to have like the permission from the universe in order to purchase larger stuff. Well, yeah. uh, it didn't really give me that credibility, but it did give me a certain amount of confidence, mm. um, which, uh, which allowed me to, when I spent six years in the development and management field, um, I was like, I saw the developer I was working for and I was like, I was like, this guy isn't really that smart. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> I knew you were going to, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, so no, but I mean, he gave me a lot of experience. I mean, I was able to go like a, like a mile wide and an inch deep in terms of in t- every like single piece of real estate asset class from self-storage to, yeah. uh, med- to medical office, to retail, to industrial, uh, student housing. Um, so that really gave me the experience of being like, all right, what do I like? What do I don't want? What I do I not like? Um, how are these deals put together from a, fun- you know, from a financing standpoint? Like what does yeah. the capital stack yeah. look like? And uh, so I was able to learn a tremendous amount from that. And uh, so I was like, after my dad passed, I was like, I need to, Focus 100% of my energy behind this. I left that com- left that company uh, because I was I had a you know some passive income from the real estate investments to that I wouldn't starve leaving the company, mm-hmm. and I gave that my 100% focus at that point in time. I had 14 units um, that was back in 2000. Uh, let me see, 2016, and now I'm up to 120 units of residential and commercial properties. Okay. Um, and mostly the way I scaled that portfolio was through utilizing um, the Burr method, but on larger uh, multi-million dollar properties. Right. So what gave you more confidence, your experience or how dumb your developer was? And which one of those was more? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Um, Okay. So I get it. So you went kind of to bigger projects. You started doing the bigger projects. Just for folks that are listening to this and they go, great. I get how maybe you did the first one. You had to come up with 16 grand, right? Okay. Doable. It's, it's, It's within striking distance of a lot of people. And then the second one was finance with a private investor. Got it. Okay. But when you start, I think what people get afraid of and they they hesitate, maybe they've done a couple of burrs or a couple of flips or whatever, and they go, well, I'd like to do apartment buildings, but I don't, how am I going to come up with 100000 or two? Like, how did you make the leap from borrowing for single family to borrowing and finding and raising money? I don't know if you had to raise, but raise money for your, your multifamily stuff. And are you doing it alone? Uh, I don't mean alone in terms of do you have nobody helping you, but do you have partners that come in and bring some of the money or how does that, how do you structure that? So the 120 unit portfolio is, was basically all, all on my own. Um, and so it was like where I really, really got like this aha moment was when I bought my first million dollar property. Um, and that was an office building, uh, located really close to the other properties that I owned. And, um, that one I had to raise $300,000 for, um, so I basically went to friends, friends and family. Uh, I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I always heard about people like, you're not asking for money. You're providing an opportunity for yeah. people. So that kind of flipped my mindset. And I reached out to people that I knew had, that I knew had money. Um, and, you know, I presented to them like, this is the deal. This is my plan with it. This is how much money I need. This is how you're getting paid back. 
Uh, I always started with how you're getting paid back first uh, in my presentation. Yeah. And um, so that's how I was able to raise the capital for that. So I used uh, $200,000 of it for the down payment. I used the rest of it for, for smart capital improvements, as well as funding an operating account for that. Mm. Um, and in about three years, I was able to push that the value of that property from $1 million to $1.6 million over a three-year period. So I was able to refinance and take them uh, take them out. So um, and then I was like, all right, I can just recycle this over and over again. I found that like that deal alone, like cash flows forty forty thousand dollars a year, right? That's my daughter's college education. Yeah, right. Um, so I found it was like if I can focus on that one to two million dollar range or higher, like I can actually get these deals that will finance like major like life events. And it, you know, so I mean that was just completely blew my mind. Um but uh, I started uh, a development company with a uh, with a partner of mine, and that's somebody who I partnered up with a couple of years ago. And now we're focusing on more transformational development projects in sort of marginal neighborhoods, uh, mostly vacant buildings, and reactivating those uh, reactivating those buildings uh, through okay. uh, reposition repositioning them or redeveloping them. Got it. So you're you're doing sort of the Burr method, you said, with a lot of these places. So. Is the strategy in the Burr method? The strategy is to hold them long term, right? Are you holding these long term? Mm-hmm. Is that the plan? Why not? You you raise the first one from a million to one point six. Why not sell it, get your six hundred thousand, and then you don't need to raise money theoretically for another deal like that, right? Like why not? Why not just make the money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have I have a net worth goal to, goal to grow my net worth to twenty million dollars. Um, I cannot do that on my own. Uh, I need right. to. I need to partner with an, uh, with investment partners, so okay. um, and go after much larger deals. And the one thing too is that as a as a real estate broker myself, I've seen what the ten thirty one exchange does to uh, to clients. Um, it's like a gun against your head, and mm-hmm. people don't make a you know people don't make good decisions in that uh, in that uh, in that type of scenario. So so I found that you know my dad used to tell me dig your well before you're thirsty. So I figure all right, well if I can establish a track record with partnering with investors on, you know, properties I could probably fund myself through selling a, you know, selling a property here and there, you know, then I can build out that track record and that network and, um, and just credibility with people so that if I want to take down 20, $30 million properties, um, and development projects, we can, you know, we can do that easier. Cause if you do everything on your own and then all of a sudden you're going, Oh, I need to raise $5 million. Like, You know, give me your money. Like, you know, if you don't have that track record of working with people and have those relationships, it's going to be very, very, very difficult. What are your What are your preferred methods? And and I kind of hate my own question I'm about to ask. I think I know the answer, but I I think that this is important. I think people might want to know what is your preferred method, if any, to raise the value of multifamily. And I know there's a lot of ways you can raise the value, right? Go from 1 million to 1.6. Is there a way that you kind of look for when you're when you're um, underwriting a property? Or is it just like, hey, I'll do whatever is there. I'll take what it gives me. Or how do you handle that? Through my experience on the larger scale management is that I can review historical financials and understand where there might be waste um, on the expense uh, on the expense side of things. I can understand where there bit where there might be management problems that can be uh, hamstringing the growth of rents for the product as it existing as it is. Um, so I can definitely my past experience brings a lot of brings a lot of value to seeing the potential in a property. Um, also really, really understanding the, the, the market or submarket where that property is. Cause I do multifamily and also I do uh, commercial properties as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, imp- come up with a plan to do, to do that. Um, really what I look for is something that has some, uh, undiscovered 
or undiscovered value to it. Um, the office property that I that I bought in Bird, so to speak, was I knew that the rents were too low based upon my knowledge of rent comps in the area. Um, I knew that the expenses were way too high. Uh, I was managed by a management company that was just you know they had a full time you know they had a they had one of their full time employees allocated fifty percent to this property. This property is a 16,000 square foot building, not a 60,000 square foot building. So I knew that there was a lot of inflated uh, expense numbers on there. Um, So just understanding those types of things is kind of like where I am, but I definitely don't do, I mean, I've done stuff from like light cosmetic rehab to full gut, like, you know, change of use, um, renovations, that sort of thing. I definitely prefer the, you know, light cosmetic rehab, you know, put a little bit of money into it, reposition the property, um, add the value that way. Cause you can add that very quickly once you, you know, increase your income and then, you know, able to normalize expenses. Um, you can drive that value very quickly without taking a lot of risk. So that's my preferred method. Absolutely. Okay. So you answered kind of my next question. I was wondering how often you do like major renovations. Do you typically, is it, and just stop me if I'm completely off base here. How, how much is it when you go in, let's assume that they're not charging enough in rent and there's, there's, you know, some improvements that that could and should be made. Do you typically raise the rent, wait and see who kind of like flushes out and says, I'm not, I'm not going to pay that much so that you can go in and like, is that how you, cause I think the, the, one of the questions people have sometimes with these multifamilies is, okay, you want to do the renovations, but you're, you're 75% full. Do you have to wait until these people literally just want to move under the current conditions? Or do you just say, Hey, rent's going up. You end up getting this mass exodus and you're like, good. Cause I need to renovate all these things anyways. How does that, how's that cadence look usually? Um, so on a, a multifamily property, a multifamily mixed use property I did a couple of years ago. Um, this property was, and it, you know, this is a completely different beast. This property was like two blocks away from my house. I had a very like personal interest in actually redeveloping the redeveloping or repositioning the building because there's a lot of drug activity that was going on in the building. Um, there was, you know, while we were walking through this property, there was people that were passed out in the hallway with needles sticking out of their arms. Mm. Um, and there was cockroaches, there was mice, rats, bed bugs, like the whole nine yards in terms wow. of like absolute horrors, like, uh, for, for property. Um, so with that one, I, you know, was able to like go through and see what tenants like, all right, this person takes good care of their place. You know, this person abs- obviously does not. I kind of was able to like, all right, I'm going to take these people. I'm going to relocate them to, uh, you know, another part of the building and to a renovated unit for them at like a, at like a pre-negotiated discounted rent. Mm-hmm. Um, cause essentially like, you know, I, I definitely don't, you know, prefer the method of just displacing people. Sure. Um, if I don't have to, that's why I'm more focused on like vacant, you know, vacant buildings or commercial properties rather than, you know, uh, value add multifamily for that reason. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and that's that method I learned from, uh, the development company is that, you know, we kept a lot of residents, we moved them to, you know, renovated apartments. That way we had that like captive audience there. We moved them over. We knew that they, they weren't taking enough units where it was going to be like destructive to the, um, to the after repair value, uh, from a net operating income standpoint. Um, but, uh, you know, and then the thing is that sometimes people take over and you got people that are behind on rent. Um, and you have to like, you know, you know, you got, you got to flush those people out. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so yeah, so that's, uh, generally my experience, uh, in the, in the past with that. Do you typically manage the, the buildings yourself or do you hire a company? How does that normally work? So, uh, part of my partnership with, um, with my partner, David, uh, is that we formed a management company to manage my assets and then manage the assets we're going to acquire together. Okay. Um, the reason why I had experimented with, 
third-party management. And it was, uh, I just never really had a uh, good experience with it. Okay. Um, just we're not on the ball, not giving our tenants the the service and attention that they needed. Um, and the thing is the management, the management company, the third-party management company model is sort of flawed a little bit from a multi, from a multi-site management standpoint. So we got 20 units here and 16 units there. Um, they really can't size appropriately based upon the management portfolio they have. Yeah. So they really have to run their crew ragged and always be behind the eight ball in order for them to make money, mm-hmm. uh, which they're entitled to for running a management company. Believe me, management sucks. Um, so I just didn't, I, I didn't feel that there was a, a really, really good focus on resident retention, which is where our focus is. Yeah. Um, so I knew that the only way we're, good, we're going to influence that was through creating a management company. And I don't run the management company; my partner does. Mm, um, okay. So I get myself like out of that, and it doesn't, you know, tap my like positive mental like mojo. I guess. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Property management can be rough, and I had this conversation. I, I had uh, Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets on the show a few weeks back, and we had this conversation about whether or not you should manage your properties yourself or hire someone to do it. And one of the reasons we were talking about why you should hire someone to do it is so that you don't get kind of wrapped up emotionally in what's going on because it's it gets difficult to make good business decisions when you like are on a first name basis with all with all your people because when things go <laughs> south, I mean I did I I bought a property and it was way under rent and it, I was like, I'm going to go in and raise the rent. I mean, they're paying way less than they should be. And I got there and they were super nice and they were petrified. They were going to get <laughs> evicted. They don't have any more money to spend. It's like, I just went, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to leave the rent the way it is. As long as they pay on time. That was sort of like my line in the sand. If they're late, they're going to get evicted. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tolerate <laughs> people not paying me rent and paying low rent. And they've just never missed a payment. And so I just left them in place. Right. But that's not like, mm-hmm. you can't run a business. I mean, I, it's a one-off for me, but you can't run a business like that. So yeah, that that's fine. And I think just the positive mojo, like you said, like it just it's a it's a very stressful business. So, anyways, I, I just was wondering if you had somebody else do it if you did it yourself. I figured you can do it yourself with 120 doors. That's a lot to try to do mm-hmm. just by yourself, right? What does your team look like? I know you have a partner, but do you have other people that you have full time or working for you and your team? And what what kind of folks who do you have on the team? Yeah, so we have a we have a couple of maintenance people that are on our staff. Um, we have a uh, we have a book a bookkeeper. We have a leasing person, and then we have David, my partner, who runs the operations, the management company. Um, the maintenance the maintenance people are sort of split allocated to um, also being like on site supers uh, superintendents at some of our like uh, development projects, mm-hmm. um, so that they you know manage the actual subcontractors that are. Uh, that are you know executing those okay. renovation projects that are over there, um, so that's what our staffing looks like current uh, currently, and it seems to be a good uh, a good mix. We're trying to get to the next rung of once we get these properties uh, stabilized after they're uh, redeveloped, then you know if bolting those onto our management infrastructure that we can bring on a full time like property manager person, so David can step right away from that goal. Because essentially, if you're trying to grow, like you're you're essentially a salesperson, yeah, and the most important part of a salesperson's like maintaining that psyche is like to not expose yourself to uh to like the minutia and the negative yeah. energy associated with management because yeah. tenants do not ne- I can count on one finger <laughs> in my fifth in my 15 years of doing this I've had a tenant call me up unsolicited and say hey Matt I just want to let you know you're doing a great job like you guys are killing it yeah and you don't get that you get you get problems people tenants call you when there's problems yeah so um so it's definitely important for people if they're looking to grow the business, like, 
yeah, you might have to self-manage um, eventually, but don't be afraid to give up stuff. It's worth it to pay other people that are yeah. qualified professionals to do to do that. Um, and you know, sometimes it can start as like a, a very very informal 1099, you know, subcontractor that'll do like your maintenance stuff and that sort of thing. Like getting out of that, getting a maintenance, you know, getting a leasing person that you pay 350 bucks to 500 bucks to yeah. you know, lease your apartments for you and stuff like that. And as you grow, you can sort of start bolting these things on, and then you can yeah. you know essentially you know get official in terms of building a team of full-time employees, if that's what your ambitions are. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely something, you know, I used to do everything myself and, uh, and I, and I'm always relieved when I actually give up something yeah. and give it to somebody else. So that's solid. That's a great, I, I'm glad you said that. And thank you. It's a solid plan for how you build out a team. Cause I think people get tripped up on like, I can't afford to hire all these full-time people like 1099 part-time. Like just, you can, you can ease into it a little bit, no matter what your, your model is or what you're doing um, quickly. And I know this isn't necessarily a quick question, but <laughs> how do you find deals? Like what's your, what's your method? What's your, and it looks like you're staying kind of local. You're not like buying them in California and Florida and all these places. Uh, you're staying relatively local. How do you find deals? Oh my God. There's like so many different ways. Um, we really, we really push into every single channel. Um, very, very most important in terms of commercial deals is relationships with commercial brokers. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a really, really huge, uh, huge source of deals for smaller, like, you know, single family to five family type of properties. Um, yeah, a lot of commercial brokers don't really, you know, operate in that. It's yeah. mostly residential dominated. That's where you can get a lot of like, you know, quote unquote off market deals. Mm -hmm. Um, but commercial brokers are really, really important. Also the, you know, um, the thought leadership platform, you have one, I have one, um, and being considered a subject matter expert with everybody that is in your sphere and growing that sphere is very yeah. important as well so that you can essentially build relationships with, you know, thousands of people. Um, so that when you have a, you know, a business conversation with somebody, they feel like they already know you. So definitely a thought leadership platform. Uh, we definitely get a lot of inbound leads from there, from potential investment partners, uh, to real estate deals as well from real estate investors that, you know, they may be doing a lot of, you know, smaller stuff and then they come across a big deal and they don't know how to take it down. Uh, so they call, you know, so they call us and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll basically throw them a bird dog or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so that's like, you know, the three, the three big ways of doing that, but you know, it's not like, you know, we're not looking through some super secret list of like, you know, foreclosure, <laughs> you know, foreclosure properties or yeah. tax liens, that sort of thing. I mean, it's, uh, um, so some of it's commercial brokers, sometimes it's direct to seller. So gotcha. Gotcha. So do you guys do like direct to seller mail and do you do that kind of stuff or no? I've done that in the past for smaller stuff. I've gotten great response out of it. Um, you just have to be consistent with it. Sure. Uh, you got to be also pretty large scale, large scale too, in terms of, you know, if you send out a thousand pieces, you may get, you know, maybe five people that will pick up the phone and call you right. an email. Right. Four of those people are going to tell, are going to tell you to F off. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, but I've definitely like, uh, gotten a good response from there from commercial deals though. Um, not, not so much, yeah. uh, most people that own property that would be investment property, right. Um, are sophisticated. They have relationships with commercial real estate brokers. They already have their rapport there. Yeah. And, um, and so that's really like where I think the key, the key is to that. But, you know, sometimes there's properties that, you know, we've driven by right down the, right the address down and, you know, son, like, you know, send a little love letter to them too. So, yeah, yeah. um, so we've done, we've done that as well. Nice. Well, listen, we could talk about this all day. I love the, uh, 
you know, kind of like uh, starting off at Chase, counting back money to your friends from high school, <laughs> uh, all the way up to your dad giving you super solid advice to get started and and where you're going now into much bigger, bigger things and, and just using that Burr method, right? I mean, it's so cool that you've learned all this. And one thing you said, I wanted to, to underscore it, and I, I the moment passed because we were, ha- we were kind of going in a different direction, but I want to point it out because I think it's critical, and I think you would agree it was critical to your to your history and, and where you are now, is you went to work for a developer to to really learn what you didn't know. And I think I joked with you about the developer that was not that smart and he gave you confidence. But I mean, going to work, like you're not too good to go to work for somebody to learn and accelerate your learning so you can get the confidence to go out and do it yourself. And I think that's why some people fail is they're like, I'm the CEO. I can't work for anybody. I'm a CEO. I, I did one flip, so I'm a business owner now. Now I can't work for somebody. It's like, no, especially at your at the age that you were. Like, go back and do it, man, and just learn so that you can have that experience that can push you forward. So thanks for that. Thanks for that advice. I appreciate it, man. It was great talking to you. I really enjoyed it. Uh, best of luck to you in everything you do. What uh, Before we leave, how can if people want to get a hold of you, uh, how can they do that? How can they find you if they want to reach out and, and ask you anything? Um, yeah, I, I think we have a lot of valuable information on our website. Um, it's www.oakgrovecompanies.com. That's O-A-K-G-R-O-V-E companies.com. Um, there we have our blog. We have our access to our links to social media. And we're really everywhere. We're on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, um, and everywhere you know, you're comfortable using social media and stuff like that. So definitely reach out to us uh, if you have any questions. I'm an open book. Um, I love to give value to other people um, and put the ladder down and help and help people build wealth and nice. uh, and earn financial independence, uh, utilizing real estate as a tool for that. So, um, so definitely uh, reach out to us. Love it. An expert in the subject, guys, reach out Oak Grove companies.com. We'll have it on the show notes. If you're writing, if you're riding a bike or whatever, you're on a treadmill, we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get this in the show notes for you. But Matt, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your advice and, and your wisdom and uh, the best of luck to you, man, in the rest of the year and beyond. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. All right. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Getting to know Matt and understanding how he built his business, going from a bank teller and being thoroughly embarrassed of what he was doing to uh, multifamily success using the Burr method, which I know know people do it. I know it's not unique, but uh, most people don't talk about using the Burr method in relation to multifamily. They talk about a lot of single family, uh, but there was a lot of value there in how he builds his business. And you can tell he's super transparent and just really, really wants to help people. So I hope you enjoyed that one guys uh but i can tell you when he was that bank teller right and a lot of you have that that proverbial bank teller job where you just hate it and like he said you just felt like eating a poop sandwich because he just didn't want to go in there and i know a lot of you feel that way he did something about it he did something about it you need to go do something about it now's the time there's nothing to wait for there really no there's no excuse that is acceptable when you're this miserable. So go out and do something about it. I can help you, somebody else can help you, or you can just go power through it. But whatever it is, go get it done so you can change your life. All right, we'll see you next time.